Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. And now, join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. Is Russell Moore a nasty man? That is the question that we will discuss on this episode of Word Matters. In, uh, in case you didn't know, uh, this week Donald Trump tweeted out uh, that he is a nasty man with no heart, uh, which we know not to be true because he was kind enough to jump on here with us. Now, we're discussing today uh, with Dr. Moore, um, should governments, uh, Christians submit to the government in all instances? So Dr. Moore, president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, uh, frequent guest, especially recently on CNN, Fox News, etc., and author of Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Oh, Moore. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So today we we want to look at a a few perspectives on um, God and the government and how Christians are to relate our ultimate devotion to God and then also our um, our loyalty, patriotism, uh, the the kind of um, relationship that we also have with the state. Um, and one of the uh, passages of Scripture that most clearly speaks to this. Uh, a lot of people immediately think of Jesus talking about rendering to Caesar, but we want we want to look at Romans 13, uh, the Apostle Paul's instruction about where he's talking about uh, war, he talks about paying taxes, talks about ultimately, though, he's, he's, he's looking at the way that humans deal with the sovereignty of the state as opposed to the, the sovereignty of God. So um, I'll, I'll go ahead and we'll read uh, Romans 13, 1 through 7 from the HCSB, and then we're going to talk with Dr. Moore about what this looks like in everyday Christian life. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have its approval for government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's public servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those who owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Yeah, so Dr. Moore, we, we said we're, we're going to discuss, um, should Christians submit to the government in all instances? So kind of big picture of this verse, uh, what do we do in, in a culture, a political climate like we have right now, where you want to balance, okay, we want a government that supports Christian morals, we want a government that supports marriage and life and the things that we hold, mm-hmm. uh, also balancing that with the extreme of God and country, this is God's, this mm-hmm. is the promised land. How do we balance those two things as Christians? Well, I think Romans balances them for us. Mm. So you really can't understand Romans 13 without looking at Romans 12. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul's talking about what it means to be the people of God. And so you you do not uh, carry out vengeance. He says, uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so you, you love your enemies. You, you overcome uh, you overcome evil with good, not with more evil. So he's, he's giving a command to the church of what it means to live as the people of God. And then he turns around and says, uh, but you also need to recognize that the governing authorities are instituted by God, and they have a very different uh, function. And the function there is that of, of the sword. So uh, Paul is saying it's a, it's a function that is to do um, very 
limited things that God has has described, and it's to commend uh, that which is good, and in the context there, that's in terms of public order, uh, and to punish evildoers. Uh, and so you have a legitimate function for the for the the sword. And and what Paul is saying there is that what the state is doing is restraining the fall, uh, which is of great benefit to the church in terms of loving neighbor and also in terms of carrying out our duties of advancing the gospel. You think of what Paul does in, say, 1 Timothy 2, where he commands us to pray for kings and all those who are in authority. And why? So that we can live uh, quiet lives. It's in the context of, of mission. And I think that's what Romans 13 and Romans 12 is doing. So we see right there the distinction between what it means to be the people of God, the church, and the much more limited uh, sort of um, sort of uh, realm that that the government occupies. So, so we've got here two two spheres. You've got the sphere of the church. You mm-hmm. have the sphere of the state. Of Paul, very clearly, and and depending on how you date the letter to the Romans, we would say this is in a, a in an environment in which the government is hostile to to Christian belief and right. practice, and yet. He's he's saying that we uh, obviously he's against anarchy. Right. But as opposed to that, he's pushing submission and he's even saying, you know, don't resist government when the government's doing its um, its rightful duty. Yeah. So what what about that situation where uh, the government is um, actually moving past its proper boundaries and is is doing something that uh, would that as Christians we think we should be called to resist. Mm-hmm. Well, how would Paul advise us there? Well, if you think about submission in Scripture, uh, submission to God is the only submission that is unequivocal uh, and and unlimited and un, unbounded. Every other form of human submission has limits. That if those limits are are uh, are, are gone past, you you end up in either idolatry or or uh, danger. And so you think of um, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, that does not mean uh, that one is to to submit, for instance, to Baal worship or to um, something that is is dangerous or or sinful. Same thing is true in terms of the state. Romans 13 tells us to be obedient and to be submissive, and it defines what that legitimate authority is that we're to be submissive to. Revelation 13 shows us a picture of a state that is that has transgressed those boundaries a state that is is not doing uh is not acting in god's authority but is taking god's place and so romans 13 sometimes you will find people who will want to apply romans 13 in an idolatrous way as though just because the state does it it means that it's uh, that it's good and it's permissible and christians must submit if that's the case then Romans 13 is saying that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and that uh, the picture that John sees in Revelation 13 of the the beast of the, the the state that is unbounded and is taking worship for itself ought to be obeyed. So Scripture says no. So if if Nero, the Caesar at the time, mm-hmm. let's say, were to have read this passage, he would not be cheering and saying good for the Christians because. This puts him under God. It puts him under God, and, and so it's actually knocking him down a notch. Absolutely, as well. A- absolutely, so. and you know, I just read a, a sermon this morning uh, by Ernst Casemon during the um, during it was in 1937 sermon he preached in 
with the rise of Hitler, mm-hmm. ended, uh, he ended up in jail for a month, was arrested for preaching the sermon. But one of the things he said was, blessed are our enemies because they know that what they rule over is only dust and it makes mm-hmm. them furious. And so if Nero is read or any uh, Roman Caesar is reading Romans 13, this is not going to be an affirmation. It's a, it's a message. Yes, you have a legitimate uh, sphere of authority here, but it's not the, the authority you think you have because you think you're a son of God and you think that you're, you're deserving of worship and total obedience. That is not what is being uh, laid out here, which is why the, the early Christians in applying this, what do they do? Um, they pay their taxes. Uh, they don't uh, violate the law in, in matters to which they can give obedience, but they don't pinch the incense to Caesar. Uh, they don't uh, proclaim Caesar as Lord, and uh, that's the reason why so many of them ended up imprisoned or, or executed. And, and what, about, um, what about the voting booth? right? So what is the balance there where, you, where we might be in a situation now where many evangelicals are saying, I don't really know what to do. There's not maybe a candidate yeah. that fits exactly what I would like to vote for. What do you do? How do you balance the... Okay, it's a good public duty to go vote, have your voice heard, and look, you're not required by Scripture to go to the voting booth necessarily. What does that look like for Well, I think when you're looking at, at Romans 13, you have to ask, just as you do with any other pastor Scripture, uh, what is the application to my situatedness? Mm. And so um, if, if, I'm, uh, if I'm reading Romans 13, I have to ask, how does this apply to me as a person under rule? And then how does this apply to me also as someone who is a ruler? So if you're Pontius Pilate, it's anachronistic, but if you're Pontius Pilate and you were reading something like Romans 13, uh, the application for you is not just I'm to obey Caesar in, in, in all of Caesar's lawful actions and to give honor to him. It is also I'm a ruler. Uh, and I have I have boundaries here and and um, and moral definitions as to what I can do. If you're a citizen in a democratic republic in this system of government, this isn't the only system of government. But this is a system of government that you and I have providentially been born into. That means that we hold an office. We we are making decisions about uh, who is going to rule. And so when we go into the the voting booth, what we're doing is delegating the use of that sword. In the same way that that Caesar would do um, in in the time of this writing, if he were to say, you are the designated governor of Judea and your responsibilities are to put down uh, anarchists and and zealots. I'm authorizing you to do that on my behalf so that when you act, Caesar acts. That's what we do when when we're voting for people. We're handing that sword over, which is why it's so important to listen to what people tell you they're going to do. With the use of the sword and and to listen when people tell you what kind of people they are, mm-hmm. because you're you're sort of um, you're handing that over. And sometimes you're going to be sometimes you're going to be surprised and disappointed. Sometimes people are going to appear to be of the kind of character where they can handle this responsibility and they disappoint you. Sometimes people are going to tell you, I'm going to use the sword in the, these ways, which are lawful. And then they don't. They use them in other ways. But many times you have people who tell you up front. This is the kind of person I am, mm-hmm. and this is the way I'm going to use the sword. And in that case, you're actually morally involved in in what you're approving uh, when you when you vote. So, so you're saying we're we're basically uh, 
contrary to the way that the first readers of Paul's letter to the Romans would have read this this passage, we're not simply we're not in a situation where you have Caesar here and then you have uh, Christians way below that. Right. We actually are in some ways acting in that that sort of authoritative yeah, capacity. I think, and have to take that I think the application for us is very similar to what's happening in Luke chapter three when you have uh, tax collectors and soldiers who are coming to John the Baptist after they've responded in repentance to mm-hmm. his preaching. And they say, what shall we now do? And he says, you don't extort people for money. You don't defraud people. Uh, you act in a way that is consistent with, uh, with, with the ethics of God. Uh, that's, that's what we're doing in terms of, of our office. We're saying, how do we use this and how do we use this in a way that is, that is lawful? We we always like to talk about how we preach and teach, how we apply this this passage, and uh, that that really leads into um, uh, the way that uh, we would present the truths of this passage in a um, in a different setting, in a church setting, perhaps, or in a teaching mm-hmm. setting. And w- one of the things that I notice in this passage, and also very clearly in First Peter uh, chapter two, and in other parts of Romans, is this this emphasis on honor, yeah. this emphasis on respect. Um, uh, obviously you wouldn't say that that means that there can be no criticism of, right. of authorities. Um, but what is, what's the, what, what's, where's the line when we talk about Christians, especially ones that are maybe politically minded, they're, they're going to be posting on Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, Twitter, they're involved, you know, emotions get so charged. Yeah. In a None of us are season. like that. We never mm-hmm. do that. Never. Before. No, no. no. <laughs> uh, but what, how, how does that message of, respect and honor, even for those we, we disagree with, how, how can we embody that in the way we, we engage? Well, with anything that the Bible teaches, there are, there are ways to deviate and sin from it in all directions. And so there's going to be a temptation of some people not to give honor to those to whom honor is due, as Paul teaches and as Peter teaches. There is also going to be the corresponding uh, temptation to have a kind of obsequious um, um almost uh, emperor worship of those who are in never uh, say anything negative about anyone yeah Yeah. and so i think the the way that we do that is to model for people what it means to often what we have to do is to distinguish between the office and the person and then uh to distinguish between the person and the actions and we're not always going to do that well but i think one of the ways we do that is especially to go overboard with in modeling for your people, people that they know you disagree with, to stand up and say, we need to pray for. So if you're, if you're a, a teacher in the church and you're, say, a conservative Republican, to model for people that when you're honoring President Obama, that, that you're able to do this despite the fact that you disagree with him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one of the, the just easiest applications of that is to refer to him as President Obama instead of just Obama. And so you're you're recognizing he holds an office that's a legitimate office here, and I can disagree with him, while at the same time treating that office with with honor. And then in other instances, you're going to have people that you're going to find personally praiseworthy, uh, in lots of ways as a person who will do things that that are acts of public injustice and find ways to affirm that person while at the same time saying, and I completely disagree with what he or she is doing, uh, in these areas. Yeah, I think, too, this this verse uh, can tend to have—I've heard this in a church, the pastor who gets up and uses this verse and says, God wants us to go to war X, Y, Z. God yeah. wants us to do this, this, and that. And they kind of make this verse about whatever political issue, yeah. typically war or whatever else that they want to make it. 
about. So how do you balance that as a, as a preacher and a teacher of, okay, whether, whether or not you're a pacifist, do you believe in war? When you're talking about this text, do you want to go kind of big picture, you know, respect the authority, kind of what you said, and not get into the minutia of all this other? Well, it depends. I mean, it, Roman, Romans 13, I think, is teaching that there is a legitimate use of force mm-hmm. uh, by by government in in police power and in in military action. So I think the just war tradition in Christianity is right, uh, largely there. But even if you uh, even if you accept that, just because a war might be just, it doesn't mean that it is wise. Mm-hmm. And so there are going to be times when a Christian, depending on where you are, when you have to stand up and say this war is unjust. And so, uh, and sometimes it's going to be a difficult thing to do. I mean, if you're in uh, 1945, uh, United States of America, and I, I love Harry Truman, uh, one of my uh, most admired uh, figures in American history, but the, the dropping of the, uh, nu- uh, atomic weapons on Hiroshima and Nagasaki outside of the parameters of uh, when, you, when you're killing massive numbers of noncombatants, um, that's a difficult thing to stand up and say, this isn't right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Maybe we rejoice in the outcome. The war is over. Uh, we, we certainly see the enemy as unjust, but this isn't a, a right thing to do. Sometimes you're going to have to do that. Sometimes it's going to be clear. Uh, other times you're going to stand up and you're going to say, Christians can come to different understandings about this particular war while still affirming that the state does have uh, a, a, uh, a goal in a right responsibility in in the war powers. So you think of, for instance, the Iraq War uh, several years ago. You have some Christians who might argue this is a just action because Saddam Hussein is not um, is not meeting the conditions that were that were put down for his surrender, and he's a dangerous person in the world. We got to go. Other Christians who are saying, I think the government has the power to go to war, but this war is unwise. It's going to create bad consequences. That's not something I would try to adjudicate from the pulpit. Instead, what I would want to do is to shape those consciences where you – I would want to rebuke somebody who on the one hand is just a militarist, and Mm -hmm. any act of force is always good as long as the government does it. That's not a Christian view. And the person who is dismissive of any act of of force, which I also think is not – not Christian. I, I, I'd love to ask you a question uh, based on this now applying to taxes, and then yeah. it leads into war. British preacher in uh, the early 1770s is in an American pulpit and is preaching on taxes and is quoting Paul here saying, hmm. pay the taxes. It basically would be to say to go to war over taxation without representation would be to violate Romans 13. Right. What would you what would you say to the preacher? Well, what I would say is that the the arguments that were being had at that time weren't over whether or not one ought to be submissive to to the governing authorities. The arguments were over uh, are the governing authorities acting lawfully uh, under their under their own rules. So, I mean, I think there's a there's a genuine point of view for both those British subjects who say we can't we can't uh, declare independence and those American patriots who say that we we have to. They're both operating. They're just interpreting I like how the you said situation. British subjects and American patriots. American patriots. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and and I, I think that I think that that's I, I think they're both seeing that. But the, the difference is it's it's um, for the. For the founding generation of those who did declare independence, it's the equivalent of dealing with, say, Richard Nixon and Watergate, 
you, yes, this is the president of the United States, but the president is acting unlawfully, hmm. and so there has to be a response to that. And so the, the, the founding generation, they're saying the, the crown is acting unlawfully on the basis of, of English common law, on the basis of their own ground rules that they're, they're setting down. And so there comes a time when those, those bonds of civil society have eroded. And so it, I think that conversation is really akin to um, some of the debates that we might have over divorce and remarriage. Um, has this particular case uh, – broken down the one flesh union to such a degree that divorce and remarriage are permissible or not. And that, you know, when you have those sorts of, those sorts of controversies, you typically don't have people who are arguing, um, is marriage a good institution or should we just, uh, if we don't like one another split up saying this is a, a very unique situation that meets, that meets an exception. I think that was true then. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Dr. Moore, for jumping on. In a time like this, we need Glad as much, to be with you. As much you. wisdom about politics as we can possibly get. So, wow. And Trevin, thanks for jumping on with me. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters is presented by the Holman Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages but clear for today's readers. Find out more at hcsb.org.